in the book of Isaiah, and um, I think that this is a, a tough place to be. So, you know, so far we have gone through the Old Testament and um, gotten up to the Song of Solomon as we did last week, and this begins the prophets. Well, it's kind of hard because to know the prophets, you really got to know what time they lived in, right, and what they were doing. Because there's a couple of things I want us to know about prophets before we jump into this one. Uh, first off, Isaiah isn't the first prophet that was listed in the Bible, but he's the first uh, book in here. He's not, he's not even the first writing prophet that showed up in time, uh, but he's the first, it's the first uh, of the prophets within our text. And partly because when you go and look at the survey of the history, a lot of the prophets are kind of set in the, in the two time frames of Isaiah and Jeremiah. Those are the big guys, right? Those are the ones that had a lot of ministry, a lot of time, and a lot of great things happen. And so uh, a prophet, just so you are aware, is someone who showed up in a specific time. Sometimes if we read the Bible as every prophet was just there to tell the future, we kind of miss what's going on. The prophet was a sign that uh, there was apostasy, there was um, false worship, there was rebellion against God from God's people, and so he would send a prophet. That prophet would come and speak to that generation, but while he spoke to that generation, he also had thoughts of kind of almost seemed like a wandering mind as he would write or as he would speak about things that were to come. So Primarily, they were called to, uh, to, to come in and, and correct God's people, help them see who God is, and they were God's mouthpiece that also gave prophecies to what was to come. So when, anytime you see a prophet in the Old Testament, what that means is there was some problems going on. <laughs> there were some problems. God's not going to send a corrective person or corrective voice if there's no reason for correction. So Isaiah shows up. Now, there's a lot happening in the history of Israel and Judah, the time Isaiah shows up. Um, but what, what prophets would primarily do, they would raise their voice, they would call out corruption, and they would, they would beg and call people back to God. That's what they would do. Um, they would call out idolatry, they would call out the blindness of the time. You'll hear that a lot through the prophets, that people were just blind to what was happening. They weren't seeing it. And a prophet comes in, uses his voice, but he's got eyes that just did, that weren't, weren't there. Like people, the people of God just weren't seeing what was actually happening. So the prophet could see what was going on uh, spiritually in the times and then raise his voice. Um, some of the prophets uh, were, were prophets to Gentile people like Jonah, uh, Obadiah. If you know those names, you also probably know Nahum. Uh, we'll, we will we'll talk more about those whenever we get to their books um, but they were prophets to the Gentile people. The others were prophets to the people of God, either Israel or Judah. Uh, there were even some way, way back in the day. Samuel was a prophet. Samuel was way before the time of Isaiah. Uh, he was back, if you remember, he was the one that, that called David out to be king. And so Samuel was, was a prophet. In Samuel's day, they actually built a school to train prophets. So they had built some schooling, trained prophets up, but I, I want us to be reminded and, and to know today that God didn't just use those trained in the school. He used whoever he wanted to use. God uses whoever he wants. He didn't wait until you went through the prophet school 
in order to be graduated, and then God could use you. That wasn't the way it worked. So even though there was a school to train how to, uh, and it wasn't how to be a prophet, but it was trained in Scripture, trained in spiritual things, trained in an understanding of who God is, and through that, they would hope that one day they could be a prophet if they would be used. So there was a, uh, a school to train prophets, but um, the Holy Spirit is not confined to that. Um, there's also uh, prophets that don't have books of their own. Um, you don't turn to the book of Elisha. It's not a book. It's a, he's not a writing prophet. Uh, you don't turn to the book of Elijah. <laughs> he's, not a, he's not a writing prophet. Uh, but they're, they're still made a massive impact in history, uh, in the history of the nation of Israel. So there's, uh, there's some prophets that we will, uh, that we'll mention. Um, Enoch was a prophet and um, a few others. Nathan was a prophet, but doesn't have a book. Um, so we, you'll hear those kind of mentioned throughout the books of the prophets as we'll go through our survey, but they don't have a specific, we're not going to look at just them because they're not a book in the Bible. Um, so there's some writing prophets. Isaiah was obviously one of the writing prophets. Um, now in the, in the, uh, we're, we're kind of setting this up today, and I'm not going to set this up every single week. I may mention it, but um, there's, there's three eras that the prophets wrote in. There's the pre-exile, so before exile. There's the during exile, and then there's the post-exile. Now, this is about the exile of Babylon. So whenever Babylon took Judah, um, there was, there's people that wrote before it, people that wrote during that exile, that time they were there, and then people that wrote after that exile, which will matter whenever you hear the words they say. Now, when they talk prophetically about Jesus, the coming Messiah, uh, it'll be, it's, it's, it's continual. It's the same all the way throughout those. So if a prophet speaks of Jesus, it wasn't because of the time they were in. It's because the, the scripture wants to point us to Christ, who is going to be the ultimate savior, uh, priest, prophet, king, just the one that, that, that uh, covers everything. So um, these men do overlap a lot. You'll hear some things, Isaiah coming in and Jeremiah coming in, and you'll hear uh, different prophets in the same time. Uh, for instance, that uh, Amos was already gone before Isaiah shows up, uh, but his book is later, right? So this is like, it's not chronological in order. So some of these line up, just like whenever we did the study of Kings and Chronicles, you know, timelines were just like, all over the place. It was like, wait, which time is this in? So this king was here. What happened in Judah? When, what happened in the northern kingdom when the southern kingdom did this? And, you know, the, the timelines were kind of hard to figure out. Well, hopefully, maybe um, throughout this study, give you a little better context. Um, but I also want you to know that these men are speaking in history to a generation. So it's important to know the context of that generation. So there's, um, uh, whenever you tell a story, so let's say I tell you a story about my day. Well, what I don't tell you typically is what's going on in the background of that day, right? So if, um, if I were to tell you the story of my, uh, uh, let's, let's go back to the year 2020. Nobody wants to go back to that year, but we go back to that year. And if I were to tell you what I did in that year, um, you, you would know that the background of that is a worldwide pandemic and everything was shutting down, right? You would know that because you lived through it with me. Um, so it's important to know, so the things that I did during those days had, a, had something to do with the, the, the background of the world going on behind me. So I, I want to make sure that we understand through the prophets, there's a background that's happening. There's some world superpowers that are, that are alive and well, and they kind, of, they kind of go like this. There was Egypt. Egypt was a superpower. Egypt was a very, very powerful nation. We know they were the ones that had, had, had 
the first point in the scripture had enslaved uh, Israel. So Egypt was a superpower. We also know that Assyria was a superpower within the time of the prophets. Assyria, uh, after Sennacherib became the king of, of Assyria, he made Nineveh the capital city. Which, again, you're hearing these and you're like, oh yeah, I know, where, I know about Nineveh, right? I know about that. That's, that's another book in the Bible talks a lot about Nineveh. But Assyria was a world superpower. Uh, it was known for its cruelty. They were just cruel. They were brutal. They were mean. Some of this you're probably thinking, oh, I remember that from the Kings. Or I remember that from the Chronicles, right? You're, you're remembering now where this is all kind of connecting to. This is in the background. So Assyria, world power, very, very cruel. Uh, we also know that Assyria ends up um, uh, falling at, at a point. Well, Babylon is another world power. Uh, it's, it's, by the time this story unfolds in Isaiah, Babylon is the world power. Um, they take down Egypt even. They are just a very, very strong force to be reckoned with. For 70 years, Babylon is the, the power in the world that is uh, to be reckoned with. Um, and then we also know that eventually uh, Babylon is defeated by the Medes and the Persians. So you may hear about the Persian Empire, uh, another world power throughout the prophets. Now, that's not just Isaiah's time. That's, the whole, that's all the prophets. Okay? So as we look at this, you'll hear about times and hints about what's going on in the world powers that are causing the people of God to stray or the people of God to do something. Now, the one thing about Persia, we know um, that Cyrus, uh, Cyrus the Great, uh, who Isaiah mentions by name before he's ever born, I think that's cool. But Cyrus the Great is the one that, that ended up, he was a very humane leader. Uh, he was the king of Persia. He's the one that decreed that Israel or the Jewish people could go out of exile back to the promised land. So uh, Cyrus the Great was the one that, that, that did that. Um, uh, a good humane leader. Now I say good. There was, there was a lot of things going on in Persia that wasn't good. But he was humane and, and decreed that the Jews could go back. Um, and so all these, these world empires, these world powers, uh, in all their uniquenesses, are set in the background of these prophets. So it's good for us to know before we jump in and understand where these prophets are coming from. So let's look at Isaiah together. Isaiah, uh, a couple of Bible trivia things about Isaiah. It's got 66 chapters in it. Now that number sounds familiar because our Bible has 66 books in it, right? So Isaiah, Isaiah has been noted and called by some uh, scholars uh, the little Bible, the little Bible, because it's within the, the story of Scripture, has 66 books. Uh, it is, and, and the way the book is broken down, which we're going to look at today a little bit, uh, there's the first 39 chapters deal with Assyria, the, na- the, the, the world power of Assyria. So the first 39 chapters. Now, if we, know, if we know much about the Bible, in the Old Testament, there's 39 chapters or 39 books. 39 books in the Old Testament, and the first 39 chapters of Isaiah deal with the world superpower of Assyria. We also know that there's 27 books in the New Testament. So what's the last 27 books, uh, or 27 chapters of Isaiah? They are, it's about the Babylonians. And so it is a, um, in fact, there's such a shift between, uh, between the chapters um, that it, it almost feels like it's another writer. It's, it's that big of a shift. And so if you look through the Old Testament and you turn to the New Testament, it, it's a big change in your Bible, right? The tone changes, the subject matter changes, the, um, everything changes. So we're going to see that happen in, in just a little while uh, towards the end of uh, whenever we, we reach that 
40th chapter, um, you'll see the difference from chapter 39 to chapter 40, um, and it's just kind of crazy. Um, he, Isaiah, we got to know where he, we got to put him in a spot, right? We got to place him in a time because he's, he came to speak to a generation. Um, so the time he lived and the, the place he lived and all that, he lived toward the end of the northern kingdom's reign. So this is a, 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 I'm putting him in time frame now. So we know the northern kingdom gets captured by Assyria and they get taken off. Um, the 10 northern tribes up there uh, get, get defeated by Assyria. And so um, uh, Amos and Hosea had both lived before uh, Isaiah and they had spoken to the northern kingdom some heavy warnings. I mean, heavy warnings. Assyria is coming, Assyria is coming. So Isaiah lived in a time where he had already heard those things uh, as, as a young guy growing up. He had heard what had happened. Um, and so he lived towards the time of the, the northern kingdoms, the end, just before their, their captivity. Um, so the northern kingdom was on their way out and a lot was going on in Judah. Um, and so he, he got to see in, in the northern kingdom his time. He saw four kings in the northern kingdom, all of which had been murdered so that, that's how they ended their reign. So like he, he, he heard some stuff, right? Isaiah heard some, I mean, there's some nastiness going on in the north by the time Isaiah is here and like figuring out what's going on. Um, so he saw a lot of that. Uh, he prophesied uh, through four reigns of Judah's kings. So Judah's kings had, uh, there was Uzziah, and you know, we, we see in Isaiah chapter 6, in the year King Uzziah died, uh, I saw the Lord seated on the throne. Uh, beautiful, beautiful text in Isaiah 6. But he saw uh, these different kings, and he was, uh, tradition uh, holds that he was, he was sawn in half by the fifth reigning king that he had seen. So Isaiah did not die a nice, peaceful death. He didn't just die in his sleep. He was, sawn in, he, was, he was sawed in two. That's what he was, according to tradition. Scripture doesn't say that, but a lot of the, the history points to that. Um, so his ministry began when Uzziah died. Uh, Uzziah, remember, he was a leper because of his pride. In his pride, he took the role and responsibility of a priest. Shouldn't have done that. God struck him with leprosy. And so uh, that's when, um, and, and during his reign, however, there was peace, there was stability, there was power, there was authority. The, the people of Judah had some, um, some consistency is what had happened. So um, that's, that's kind of where, where it, it began. Um, and then uh, his son, uh, Jotham, was ruling uh, as Isaiah was early in the ministry, um, followed by Ahaz, then Hezekiah, then Manasseh. Uh, we know Manasseh was the worst of all of them. Uh, Ahaz was bad. Uh, Jotham was fine. Um, Jotham didn't do anything crazy bad, um, but he was, uh, he, he, there was a lot of prosperity when Jotham, uh, the, the son of Uzziah, was the king. A lot of prosperity. Uh, and, and even in that time, there was, there was um, uh, if I could say it this way, if, if you look and read through the history, there was, there was some packed worship centers. There was a lot of, the, the nation was, was uh, active in the things of God. However, what we'll see in Isaiah, the first four chapters call out a lot of what Jotham was, was doing, the first four chapter of, as a, chapters of Isaiah, uh, because Isaiah says it's not worship, the worship houses may be full, but there's no worship within the house. Um, he's saying that there, there's, and you know, we can have, you can have a big crowd. That doesn't mean real true worship is going on. It doesn't mean we are really connecting to the heart of God. It could just mean we're happy right now. We, we're in a good place right now. 
we like what's going on right now, so we're going to honor God by showing up. Isaiah starts to call out some things uh, early on in the first four chapters. But in that, uh, we'll get to that in just a second. Sorry, I'm getting ahead. Um, but as they, um, uh, so through those, through those kings, Isaiah is, that's his ministry. He's prophesying in these times. Um, and Israel, uh, Isaiah's great event, he had one really, if you could sum it down to one incredible great event. We all know it. It's the event where the Assyrian army had come up to Jerusalem and they were going to take over. Sennacherib came to take over. Uh, so they're out there and that angel came and killed 185,000 Assyrian soldiers, right? You remember that night? Uh, great, great night. Um, that, was, that was probably the biggest event in Isaiah's ministry. Uh, that wasn't the biggest thing he talked about, but it was the biggest event in his history. Um, and so we'll look at that in just a few minutes when we get to that part of Isaiah. But that was, uh, uh, that was, that was a big deal. Uh, Sennacherib, right, if you remember, Sennacherib right after that was like, I'm not messing with these people. <laughs> I'm, you can forget it. I'm, I'm leaving. I'm not going to touch them anymore. So he, he left Judah alone after that. Um, this book is quoted several times in the New Testament. Uh, a lot of people, in fact, if you remember, um, whenever uh, uh, Philip the Evangelist was talking to the Ethiopian eunuch, he, he literally quoted from Isaiah and ended up leading him to the Lord. Like that's, that's where you, you can't have, I heard, a, um, I heard a preacher one time say, if, if as long as there is need for salvation, the book of Isaiah is necessary um, because it, just, it gives full, complete uh, ex explanation of who Jesus is, our need for salvation, the cross and the sacrifice of Jesus, all within this book. Uh, it's, it's a beautiful, beautiful book within the scripture. I encourage everybody to read it. It's long. It's really hard to read it all and then try to do a survey on it. Um, so I encourage you to go read it and, and see just how it speaks to your life. Maybe today will help you kind of put some things in context where you know what's going on uh, rather than just hoping you figure out what, what he's prophesying to or about. Um, so it's, uh, it's quoted a lot of times. We dive right in. The first four chapters, as I said, were um, deal with uh, Jotham's reign. Um, he was a, a, good, a good king. In fact, in 2 Chronicles 27, it says that Jotham uh, was, uh, he prepared his way before the Lord. So he had a, a mind about him that was honoring the Lord. Jotham was a king that wanted to do good things. So he did the good things. Now, it was kind of surface-level good things, but it was still good things. He, he, was, he was ready to make this happen, as we see in 2 Chronicles. Um, his, his reign was, was pretty prosperous. And so now here's the, the hard part as we think about what I said a minute ago with prophets. Prophets were not called when there was no need for correction. Prophets were called when there was a need for correction. So in Jotham's reign, there was, uh, it looked prosperous, uh, but Isaiah's here. So why is Isaiah here? If Isaiah's here, it means there's a problem. We are not uh, necessarily connecting to God. And so the outward, um, which tells me those first four chapters, again, you go back and look at 2 Chronicles 27, you look at Jotham and how he, how he uh, led the people of Judah, and it seems like he did a pretty good job. So why have a, a, a prophet show up and correct a bunch of things? Well, probably because outward appearances can be deceiving. Uh, as we said, you can have a house full, a worship house full, but there be no worship in the house. You can have big crowds. You know, I used to tell youth pastors all the time, they would say, man, how can you get more, how do you get more students? How do you get more students? My youth ministry at the time was running about 200 students. And I said, well, it's not about like, gain now we did it very slowly, the process, 
I said, listen, you can gain a crowd easy. Give away something expensive. Everybody shows up. Everybody does. Now, why are they there? Because they want to get something expensive. <laughs> that was the reason. Had nothing to do with their love for the Lord. It had a lot to do with, we would give away a bunch of stuff. Why? Because I wanted as many people to hear the gospel, right? We would, that's what the, the old bait and switch, right? Hey, we're going to give away a, a brand new, you know, set of AirPods and, and iPad and computer. And you know, $5,000 we're giving away. And everybody's like, yes, I want to be there. As soon as they come in, I'm like, I'm going to give it away. But first, you got to listen to this man named Jesus, right? Like it's, that's the whole, that's the church thing. Um, and so I said, you can, you can draw a crowd and it not be spiritual. Uh, the same thing was going on in, in Judah's day during Jotham's reign. Now, there were some good things happening again, but ultimately people were showing up for the wrong reason. They didn't want to be there because they loved the Lord and they wanted to honor and serve him. They wanted to be there because the Lord was giving them good things. That's what they, they were like, well, now we owe him back, so we're going to show up, right? And so um, worship's not having, numbers can be deceiving. Uh, and, and by the way, numbers can be deceiving then. Numbers can also be deceiving now. So just because I, I told a church staff one time I was a, when I was consulting, they said, well, our numbers are growing. This is growing. This is growing. This is growing. So everything's good. Everybody's happy. I said, what do you mean everybody's happy? They said, well, everybody's, nobody's complaining. I said, Why, what, what do you mean? And ultimately it came down to people liked the pastor when the numbers were big. And I said, okay, how is, is the, has the kingdom grown any? And he said, what do you mean? I said, has the kingdom grown? He said, well, I, I don't even know if I can answer that question. I said, well, here's what I've learned in life. Whenever my kingdom grows, people celebrate it. But whenever the Lord's kingdom grows, it's harder to get a celebration out of it. And that, I mean, if, if this Sunday there was, we had to have three services and there was 1,200 people here. My guess is every, every one of us are going to be like, Oh, we got this happening. This is going on. We are the place to be. All right. But if they were not here, if nobody got saved, if nobody's converted, if nobody grows spiritually, the kingdom is not growing or advancing, are we still going to celebrate it? And if we just have one new family here, there's still enough murmuring and confusion and complaining. Numbers can be deceiving. Isaiah tells Joseph, Jotham that. He's like, listen, this, this can be hard to deal with. Um, he, even, he even says uh, in in chapter 1, verse number, verse number 2, Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. Children have I reared up and brought up, but they have rebelled against me. This is in a pretty prosperous season, and that doesn't sound like a prosperous phrase. The children have risen up, they've rebelled against me. The church house is full. The temple's full. The, the people are all connected and loving. And this, how, What do you mean they've rebelled? Because it's what's inside that matters. It's in the heart. It's, it's a heart matter. Isaiah warns through these first few chapters, uh, chapter 2, he warns about soothsayers. Um, that would be in our, in our vernacular, that's psychics. People, were, people of Israel were going to soothsayers to figure out their life. Right? So they, they, you know, it's, it's, it's today's culture of going and getting, uh, you know, getting your, uh, I don't even know what psychics do. I think they do like cards or something, or maybe they, I don't know, hand stuff or like globe or ball, crystal ball. I don't know. Whatever that stuff is, I've seen it on TV. But they, um, uh, it would be like going to them to hear what your life's going to be like rather than going to the Lord and trusting he has, your, he has all of your days written out. He knows exactly what you're going to end up doing. Uh, he, he warns against, in chapter 2, uh, materialism. He warns against idols. He warns against trust in military over God. See, what happened is the nation became prosperous. So they no longer had their trust in the Lord. They had their trust in what they could do. 
right? It's, 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 it's so simple. It's like we have more tanks than the other people, so we're stronger, so we're going to trust our tanks. Well, then the Lord says, okay, well, I'm going to dry up your diesel fuel. <laughs> Wait, then our tanks can't get where they're going, right? The Lord's truly in charge of everything. So Isaiah is saying, listen, you, you put more trust in your military power than you do in the Lord of your military. He's like, don't be so caught up in our nation so powerful that you miss that it's God that is doing it. Because also in chapter 3, if you keep reading, there's judgment, more judgment on Judah and Jerusalem. And in that, uh, he talks about how there's wickedness in high offices, high military offices, uh, cabinet members, uh, great leaders within their government. There's wickedness within it. Um, you know, that's, that's the first couple of verses in chapter 3. And, you know, I, I can honestly say it's hard for me to read this and not see some things in our day. It's hard for me to read this and not see some problems within our leadership structures and in our military structures and the way things are being led. There's some wickedness in high offices now and even in, in lawmakers, as he says, in, in the, the people that are, that are judging and holding the law. There, there's some problems in all that. So there's, there's wickedness up there. If you keep reading, go on down. Chapter 5, there's a lot of woes. These woes are, are miserable. They are, they are hard to hear. Uh, beginning at verse 8 of chapter 5, um, Isaiah's bringing the heat, man. Woe to those who join house to house and who add field to field. This is people that, that own land and own property are oppressing. He's saying the people in the cities uh, make poverty harder and the people in the country overuse the land. That's what he's saying. They, they overuse it and they waste it. They burn it up. And he's saying, woe to those people. Woe who crave pleasure. Woe who uh, make, make their profession out of lies and trickery and crime. Um, it's people who say that homosexuality is just an alternative lifestyle. It's that, that woe to those people is what Isaiah is saying. He's saying, woe to those people. If we can imagine... Uh, it's also like saying, oh, those who, who robbed somebody or looted somebody, they blame it on society's systems, right? This is now starting to sound way too close to home. He, as he's talking about these woes, he uses these phrases that we don't quite understand in our vernacular and in our culture. Um, but he's saying that uh, woe to those who, um, who, who struggle and who have this wickedness that they're misunderstanding, they're deceiving everybody by saying this is okay and this is not. Those who, who say that the truth is uh, whatever you, you claim it to be, right? It's, that's, that's what Isaiah is saying. Those, be careful. Watch out for those people, and those people need to watch out for themselves because there's a judgment day coming, and they're not aligning with the Scripture. So we see that uh, all through chapter 5. And then what we find in chapter 6 is his great calling. Um, I, I love Isaiah 6, probably one of my favorites in all the Scripture. I know it's every week. I'm sorry, every week I say it, but it is, it is one of my favorites. Um, this uh, Isaiah 6 is a very specific um, uh, uh, love for me because when I was called into the ministry, Isaiah 6 was the text that I read that God called me out. And um, so I'll, I'll just never forget that moment back in 2002 in Dallas Theological Seminary. I was sitting in their chapel and Isaiah 6 was presented and I began to read it and I read it and it was like it started reading me and it was weird. I thought, whoa, what is this? And it was like the Lord was speaking to me. He said, I want you to do this. I've called you to, to be in the ministry. So Isaiah 6, awesome, incredible. I love Isaiah 6. Isaiah sees the Lord. 
It's powerful. It's amazing. He also gives us a little bit of a time frame here, which helps us to kind of see things. And then after chapter 6, we begin to watch the time of historical context break down. So even chapter 7, verse 1, in the days of Ahaz. So he starts us with, here's, here's where Ahaz's uh, kingdom reigns. Here's, here's the historical piece. There's a lot to Isaiah. There's so much in here. Like, I can't even tell you, my brain is like overloaded with what all Isaiah is. Because there's like, there's historical context, there's prophetical context, there's, um, there's, there's post-exile context, there's pre-exile context. It's, it is wild. It is absolutely wild. How much is in this book? Please go study it. It's amazing. Uh, we need to just do, I'll do a year-long study on Isaiah. Um, 66 weeks. Here we go. Uh, but in, this, uh, in this, this text from here, from 7 on, he gives us the days of Ahaz. We start to see it chronologically unfolding in nature. And then, so chapter 7 and 8 give us insights into um, kings, uh, Judah's king and how the events uh, are and will unfold. But here's what's so cool. We see some amazing things happening. And I want to I point these out uh, from here on through our survey. We're going to point out some neat things. Um, because Isaiah is, is speaking to what's happening in that day, right? In the days of Ahaz. He didn't say in the days to come. He says in the days of Ahaz. He starts speaking and teaching in these days and prophesying in these days. And he starts calling out, uh, you know, there's, there's wickedness in high places, right? There's, uh, there's, there's people that are tricking people and robbing from them and stealing from them, and this is going on today. But then every now and then we see a glimpse of something glorious, and such, such as uh, in, in chapter 7, he's talking about, again, the things going on in Ahaz's day. But then uh, through, it, it, and this is where it feels like, um, if, you read, if you read Isaiah, sit down and read it, it's almost like, wow, why did he, it's like his mind just started wandering. But we know the Holy Spirit inspired his pen to change its tone for just a second. And so we see in chapter 7, um, it's a... Uh, uh, it says, again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, ask a sign of your Lord, uh, of your God, and let it be as deep as Sheol or as high as heaven. Ahaz says, I won't ask. This is down in verse number 10, and, uh, 10 11, and 12. And then verse 14, I want to read verse 14. It says um, uh, that, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and he shall be called, his name shall be called Emmanuel. Like that's, like What? That's that glimpse of glory within the text. He's talking to Ahaz. This is not, I mean, we, we quote that at, scripture, at, at, at Christmas time, but we don't quote it in the context of which it's in. Like this, this king who doesn't know what's going on, he's like, I need to sign. And we see this just beautiful piece of, well, here's the sign. The sign is there's, there's one coming and you can just name him God with us. That's who you can name him. He, he's, he's that person. Um, you even see down in, in chapter 8 uh, also gives us some more of that, like, here's what's happening this time, this moment, uh, warning Ahaz of some things, warning the people of God of some things. And then, uh, then, verse, uh, then chapter 9 gives us insight into, this is what's so crazy, it gives us insight into um, the northern kingdom's uh, uh, misery. Um, but Listen to these few glimpses here. In chapter 9 of Isaiah, this is, we quote this at Christmas time. Uh, in verse number, listen to verse 6 and 7. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, 
And he shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice, with righteousness from the time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is Isaiah talking to a people. Now, if you remember in Isaiah 6, one of the things about that text, uh, the first eight verses are awesome. Awesome. You see the Lord. He's seated. He calls Isaiah. He, he puts the, the, the coals on his tongue. He's like, I, I'm going to use your tongue to speak to the nations. And Isaiah's like, here I am. Send me. I'm ready. Let's go. Verses 9 and following in Isaiah 6 are, are God saying, nobody's going to listen to you. And Isaiah's like, wait, what? <laughs> Hold on. People are going to, they're going to, dis, they're going to disown you. They're going to, they're going to disagree with you. They're not going to listen. You're going to speak, but people's ears will be closed. They're not going to hear you. And then you start reading and hearing the warnings that are being said and hearing the things that are, be, that are happening. And then he's talking about, he's talking about Jesus being born of a virgin. Like, well, of course, I, Ahaz probably thinking, what? This one doesn't make any sense, man. What do I need to do today? Like, that's what I was asking for. Like, you're telling me something that doesn't make sense. I think you're saying it wrong. Are you sure you're saying it right? It's like, yeah, I'm saying it right. This is what's happening. Uh, chapter, so chapter 9, we see this kind of beautiful piece of, of even in the middle of the misery of the northern kingdom. Again, you can go in uh, verses 8 and following in chapter 9. You can see some misery in the northern kingdom. Then into chapter 10 uh, gives us how Assyria will not rule forever. Now, here's something to note. Assyria is in the north, powerful, and it's coming down closer to the south. They are defeating more and more and more and more people, and there's less and less of a buffer between the southern kingdom and the northern kingdom. You understand what I'm saying? So, uh, like right now, the northern kingdom is like, it's bordering the southern kingdom, And so Assyria takes on more and more and more, and that gap of land gets closer and closer and closer, which matters whenever Hezekiah comes in. And and I'll kind of explain a little bit of that in just a minute. But whenever uh, the the Assyrians are coming down, so chapter 10 gives us the picture, Assyria is not going to be here forever. Like, don't you, don't worry. Don't worry, it's not going to be forever. Now, Assyria still is not, they're, they're about to capture the northern kingdom, so it, it, it's worse, worrisome to them, um, but it's a, uh, it, it's, it, will, it will eventually fall, and it will eventually fail. And then, then he talks about the, the, the end of chapter 10, the remnant of Israel will return. Like, he's like, listen, it's not only going to fall, like the people of Israel are not going to be gone. They're not going to end. Israel will stay forever because Israel is God's people and he's promised something later to them. And so they are not going to disappear and disintegrate. Well, then chapter 11 and 12. Oh man, I love chapters 11 and 12. These are, these are beautiful. Uh, let me just read you the first, the first line of, uh, well, let's read the last two verses of 10, 33 and 34. And then we'll read into chapter 11, verses 1 and 2. Uh, chapter 10, verse 33. Behold, the Lord of hosts will lop the, the boughs of, with terrifying power. The great, the great in height will be hewn down, and the lofty will be brought low. He will cut down the thickets of the forest with an axe, and Lebanon will fall by the majestic one. That sounds very intense and very, very um, uh, forceful. Then chapter 11, verse 1. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch... From his roots shall bear fruit, 
And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be... I can keep reading. This is, it's, it is a refreshing, beautiful statement from Isaiah. Even as he finishes the chapter 10... Now, Isaiah didn't chapter and verse it, right? We did so we could study it and reference it. But through, through this, this um, prophecy, he's saying, listen, Israel uh, will not die... And then he starts talking about the one that's going to bring him back to life. He's talking about the one, as he goes into chapter 11, there is one coming from the stump of Jesse, from that root, from that lineage, that, was, that is going to be the one that is taking care of all of us. And he, he goes through that in chapters 11 and 12. And then um, chapters 13 and on, uh, 13 through, in fact, this is a big chunk. I want to touch these for just a second. Chapters 13 all the way through 24. Uh, this is a lot of, of pages of Scripture. Um, give judgment on, on and, and talk about the coming things that will happen. So concerning Assyria, concerning Babylon. Something interesting to note, Babylon wasn't even really a world power at this point. And Isaiah is saying Babylon is going to be um, judged. And it's like, well, ba- who's, who's Babylon? <laughs> what are you talking about? Because in the time frame this was written in, um, it was all Assyria. Assyria was the world power. Nobody's afraid of Babylon in the moment. Like, it was Assyria. And so he's like, Babylon will have some judgment on it. And then he goes in and he starts talking about just peace after peace after peace, um, which has to sound kind of crazy um, to, to the people listening. Again, I go back to Isaiah, uh, Isaiah 6 when, when the Lord says, people are they're going to think you're crazy. They're not going to listen to you. And it's like, you're going to preach absolute 100% truth and people are going to think you're 100% crazy because you're going to say things they don't get. You're going to, you're going to uh, present things they don't, they're not going to understand. But he goes through here and he starts to talk about the different things concerning these multiple places and these multiple things uh, in these different regions. He looks through time. This is, this is, he goes from the past to the future and he, he talks about it like it's one. And I think it's beautiful. I love how the prophets do that. They talk about something that will happen in the, in the future like it's already happened in the past because it's the truth of God from the revelation of the Holy Spirit. Um, so he goes through, and in these, in these, these lumps of chapters, um, you can go and read these. I do want to encourage you as you read them, know that they are truth and know that they happened, but know that he said them before they happened. So that's kind of, kind of wild just to think about how that how that goes on and how that, that plays out. Um, but even into chapter 21, the oracle concerning the wilderness of the sea, like Babylon, the fallen is Babylon. Babylon is going to fall. Um, there's an oracle concerning Egypt and Assyria and different places, even Jerusalem. Um, and then we get down, so that, those are chapters 13 through 24, a lot of just prophecy after prophecy after prophecy. Isaiah was known for his prophetic words. He was able to speak and then things would end up happening, whether it would be in his lifetime or not. It was amazing to watch and see. But then, um, as we see, uh, as, as Isaiah speaks, you know, already we've seen a few glimpses. He would speak about uh, that Assyria would fall, and it, there's going to be God's mighty power crush it. And then he would talk, he would talk about Jesus. Now, Isaiah, well, I don't even know what, I would love to know how Isaiah received the words about Jesus. Right? Is he just writing literally as the, as the Holy Spirit was telling him? Or was he seeing something and then writing it down? Because you've got to think, out of the stump of Jesse comes this branch. You've got to think, out of, there will be a, a son born of a virgin. 
You can call him Emmanuel. There's these, these moments, these glimpses of Jesus. And I've, I've seen throughout the, the prophet's walk that there would be curses and judgments and, and prophecies and all of these, these kind of wild, crashing waves. And then there's almost like this stillness of, but God's here and he's faithful. And he does it again in chapter 25. He says, O Lord, you are my God. I will exalt you. I will praise your name for you have done wonderful things. Plans formed of old, faithful and sure. You have made a city a heap of the fortified city, a ruin. The foreigner's palace is a city no more. It will never be rebuilt. He starts talking about how God is faithful. These next two chapters, I love chapters 25 and 26, talk about just the faithfulness of God. He is going to be faithful. He has been faithful. He is faithful. He will remain faithful. You see what Isaiah's done as he's, as he's written these words, he's saying, here's all this toughness that God's going to bring, but don't, don't get worried. Don't get anxious. He's faithful. He's good. He can, we can trust him. He loves us and we love him. And then all the way into, through chapter 27 even, just you hear the, the redemption of the people of Israel, the faithfulness. God is going to be faithful to his people. We can trust that. Um, then you hear in chapters 28 all the way through 35. Uh, this is a section where I've, I've titled myself um, Isaiah's screaming. He's screaming. He's crying out with this. I, I feel like at this point in Isaiah's life, in Isaiah's um, uh, ministry and his prophetic words, he is yelling out louder and louder and louder. He is begging the people of God. You know, there's a point in life, I don't know how old Isaiah was when he wrote this. I don't know where he was in his life. I, I don't know exactly, but I, I've seen, we're, we're 28 chapters in now, right? So there's been a lot happen. I, what I've seen in my life is the older I'm getting, and I know I'm, I'm a kid, right? I'm 40. Uh, 40. That's not a kid. Oh, gosh. Um, I know that as I've gotten older, things have become more, feel more urgent. So when I was in my 20s, I was in my 20s, I was leading young people to the Lord, and it was, I was having a good time. I was having fun. Uh, you know, my wife and I were having kids and just enjoying life, and it was all great, all good. We had babies in the house and little, little kids, you know, elementary school. And then you get into my, I got into my 30s, and things got a little bit more serious. I was like, okay, my, my, my kids need a better foundation than I'm giving them. They need a better solid discipline and structure. And, and the people I'm leading to the Lord need to know a little bit more than I've, I've led on. I, I want them to not only be Christians, I want them to be disciples. And so I need to really pour in. And now, like, as I've stepped into my 40s, I have this almost like megaphone in my mouth saying, hey, you people that are that are believers, stop sinning. Like, it is, it is not worth it. I'm, I find myself now talking to young couples in their 20s and 30s and saying, listen, what you're doing right now is going to affect your marriage. It's going to affect everything you do in your life. Please, please, please don't be dumb. Like, whatever you do. And, and I just began to think the people in my life, my mentors, I have mentors that are older than me, and I have one that's, I don't call him mentor, but he's younger than me. He gives me, helps me stay relevant and understand what's going on in the world. Um, and uh, these mentors that are older than me, as I've gotten older, they've gotten more intense too. Like, they've gotten, they've, they borderline yell at me now. And I'm like, whoa, slow down, man. Like, I'm sorry, I didn't mean it. He's like, I just want you, I don't want you to make the same mistakes I did, right? Isaiah, through these chapters, I can almost hear 
him saying, uh, him, him being a little bit more uh, assertive and louder and more uh, uh, intense. He's saying, listen, don't stray, from the, don't stray from the Lord. Don't stray from him. He's good. He's, he's trustworthy. He's amazing. He's awesome. Like, don't go down to Egypt. Don't follow into this. Don't be rebellious. You're being rebellious. Stop being rebellious. You see this all the way through. And then uh, I love in chapter 35, there's another breath of fresh air, another, another moment of hope. The moment of hope is the ransom shall return. That's that moment of hope in chapter 35. So he's, he's got this same pattern, right? He's, these woes, these, these judgments, these warnings, this cry of a prophet. And then he's like, but it's okay. God's still faithful. God's going to be faithful. I think if, if anytime we, we leave gathering together, my heart is that we leave with you knowing, it doesn't matter how much uh, sin has been called out from the text, from the scripture. It doesn't matter how much sin and conviction you have in your, in your heart and in your life. I pray you deal with it. But then my prayer is always that you would walk out with the confidence that God's in control and that he brings peace and that he will do what he says he will do. He will return. Jesus is returning. And because of that, we have hope, right? We have hope. And so um, then what we find in uh, chapter 36, uh, chapters 36 through 39, this is that moment that we talked about a minute ago um, when Sennacherib comes against Judah, tries to come and, and seize Jerusalem. Uh, he invades Judah. Uh, Hezekiah is the king, and Hezekiah is, um, is, is kind of freaking out. Now, as I said before, uh, so Hezekiah, at the beginning of his reign, he did something that is, uh, is oftentimes um, viewed at very, very negatively. And I think he did it out of unfaithfulness. But what, what I was saying, you know, is, as Assyria has been attacking down toward the southern kingdom. They've been attacking down toward Judah. So they've taken over, uh, you know, the northern kingdom. They keep coming down. They keep coming closer. And so that buffer, that land buffer, is beginning to shrink. So Judah is now to this point where it's like nearly connected to Assyria. So Hezekiah, in a moment of desperation, he pays off the Assyrians. Uh, he gives them all this money, and he gives them all this money to like stay away because his land buffer was gone. So he thinks this is the best thing to do. Now it was not the best thing to do. I think it was a I think it was a misstep in his walk with the Lord. I think he he he, he then showed trust in in treasures rather than in the Lord. Uh, but in that in that moment, uh, he that's how his his kingdom has started. He, he started off by this. And again, it's, it's a worrisome moment, right? It's, it's, he acted out of fear, not out of faith. He sees that his buffer zone has, has collapsed. And so he's now in a, in a world power position. He's the king of Judah. And he says, oh no, what do I do to keep him away? My land buffer's gone. Everything's getting really close. So in these, in these texts, what we see is the Assyrians... Uh, led by Sennacherib, is, is they're coming to invade Jerusalem. So obviously, paying them off didn't help, right? Obviously, paying them off didn't, didn't last. They still wanted to invade, still wanted to kill. So they show up. This scene is the one where uh, we see it's powerful, it's awesome, uh, for the next uh, three, three, four verse, three, four chapters. Um, and uh, we see how uh, Hezekiah prays, uh, Sennacherib falls, he can't win. Um, the angel comes in, kills 185,000. Assyrian soldiers. We see that in chapter 37. And then uh, we find in chapter 38, Hezekiah gets sick. He also recovers from that. But I want to say in, in this scene of the Assyrians getting killed in this camp, 
It was so great and so awesome. It's mentioned three times in full in the scripture. It's mentioned in 2 Kings, it's mentioned in 2 Chronicles, and it's also mentioned here in Isaiah. It was such a powerful scene that the, the angel of the Lord came and destroyed this army, took over for, for Judah, for the, the city of Jerusalem, and, and killed the enemy. It, it was mentioned, it's mentioned three times in the Bible. Like that, there's not many things mentioned three times in the Bible. That's, that's a lot, that event. And so it's something to pay attention to. Um, it's, it's an amazing thing to even see and hear. Uh, but then as, as it finishes up Isaiah 38 and 39, um, it talks about uh, the, the different um, pieces of, of the, the way that the Assyrian lives end and how, the, um, how Hezekiah was again sick and then restored and healed. And then it goes into a time uh, that that basically says, it's the last couple verses in chapter 39, it says, Then Hezekiah said to Isaiah, The word of the Lord that you have spoken is good, for he thought there will be peace and security in my days. That was the end of chapter 39. Hezekiah saying this, this great act that just happened, this, this great restoration and all these wonderful things had taken place. Then we get to, verse, to chapter 40, and we see a change um, because you were dealing with um, Assyria, you were dealing with these things that had happened, and now in chapter 40 it changes and deals with Babylon. Uh, and, and what we find is the same kind of, of transition that happens in the Old, from the Old Testament to the New Testament, because there's a change in not only uh, language or um, uh, types of language, language style, writing style, we also see a change in the subject matter. The matter changes um, in, in the subject. So from, from 40 to 66, it's no longer focused on the present day. It's focused on the days to come. So Isaiah's perspective is different. It was written very much in, here's what's happening today, here's what's going on today, and then there were some, some predictions of the near future coming. Well, now the, the, it's all about like looking ahead. So he's looking to the future, he doesn't look anymore to the threats of the Assyrians. He's now looking to Babylon, uh, which was even, um, which again, the time, he was, the time he was writing it wasn't even a huge threat to them. They just seen the Assyrians collapse. Um, and so as, as usual, what we will find is throughout these texts, and I'm going to spend some time in one chunk of this, and then we will we'll wrap up our survey today. But um, what you'll see is in, in, in this, from here on, You'll find, as usual to, to Isaiah, there's moments of, of seeing Christ. There's moments of seeing Jesus, uh, and there's moments of his, his words that prophetically will connect us to Christ. Um, and so in these, um, uh, but what, what I want us to note is there's something interesting about the prophets. Now, this is something that I, I want to just kind of share a little bit. So as I see the prophets, most every prophet that, that talks about Jesus or has a prophecy about Jesus sees two things. They see the first coming of Christ— right? A virgin shall conceive. And they see a second coming of Christ when he reigns forever. But there's a time in between that they don't see. It's the church age. It's the age we're living in. So in my mind, it's almost like these, these prophets can see, and they see this, this mountain peak of Jesus coming to earth. Then they see just, by, just past it, another mountain peak of Jesus coming to reign forever and ever and ever. But they can't see the valley in between it. We're in the valley like, let me just tell you, this is the valley. This is, this is tough. This is where, um, you know, the Holy Spirit's job, I, you know, I started thinking about the Godhead, the three in one and, and the three persons of God. And like, you know, I thought, who has, 
who has the easier job and who has the harder job? And I realize they're all hard, every one of them. There's no way it's easy for God the Father to see his son suffer. No way. No way it was easy for Jesus to suffer and his relationship to be hurt with his father so that he could have us. No way the Holy Spirit's job is easy. He's in this valley in between the two comings of Christ. Like, we are dealing with, with life down here. Isaiah doesn't speak, so I, so I want to make sure and mention, in the prophets, one of the big mistakes is whenever we compare what the prophet says to the church age, because it's not necessarily to the church age. Now, there's some things, there's some principles that we can apply in our church age today, but he's not speaking of the church. He's speaking of Israel. And Israel doesn't, I don't, I don't believe, I'm of, the, I'm of the school of thought, I don't believe that, that um, whenever, when the church age came, it replaced Israel. I don't believe that. If I would believe that, I wouldn't believe back, what, 50 years ago, 70 years ago now, whenever Israel became a nation again. Like, I believe that, that God is restoring a people, and I think he's restoring the nation of Israel. I believe even that the, whenever we look into the future, I think the nation of Israel is, is, a, is not the church, right? Now, some of the people of the nation of Israel could be in the church, but ultimately, he's looking, Isaiah's looking. So I don't ever want us to misunderstand that think, oh, well, he, this is where he's talking about us in the church age. That's not how Isaiah, he sees the coming of Christ first time, then he sees the second coming of Christ to reign. And so there's a time in between that we're living in today. So that just to, just to note, that's my understanding and interpretation of the scripture. So, this last section of the book of Isaiah from 40 to 66, 27 chapters, same as the New Testament. And it's broken up, if you read this, it's broken up into three sections, uh, each section containing nine chapters. So the first nine chapters, then the second nine chapters, then the third nine chapters. So from chapters um, 40 to 48, if you, if you were to read those, so I'm, I'm not going to talk about those much. I'm going to tell you what I titled them. I titled chapters 40 through 48, that first nine chapters, uh, Judah's Miseries. The miseries of Judah. The people, the southern kingdom, how they are, the miseries that they will they encompass, the miseries that happen to them. So you can, you can see, and again, I know that's, that's nine chapters, and that's one phrase over nine chapters. There's a lot in there. There's a bunch in there. I encourage you to read it and find out um, more and more and more. But it's just the, the miseries that seem to come on to the people of Judah. And then the second nine chapters, chapters 49 through 57, uh, they deal with Judah's Messiah. That's what I've titled those. Those are the ones I want to look into in just a moment. Um, but that's uh, chapters 49 through 57. And so it starts out, listen to me, uh, o, o coastlands, give attention to the peoples. The Lord called me from the womb, from the body of my mother, and uh, he named me. Um, and then it goes on talking about, it gives us pictures of Jesus uh, in those nine chapters. Then the final nine chapters from 58 to 66, not going to talk much about those this morning, from chapters 58 to 66, those are about um, the, the millennium for the people of God. So uh, I had to have another M word, right? So you got miseries, Messiah, and millennium. Um, but the rain that comes later. And so uh, there's a lot of prophetic things in that that I don't, I don't, um, <laughs> I don't fully understand. I don't fully understand all the book. Uh, but there's, there's some things in that, that that are interesting that I would love to dive into at some point. But today, for the, the purpose today, I wanted to, to, to deal with this middle nine chapters. So here's what we got. In the, in the middle section... Of the, of the second part of the book of Isaiah, so the last you know, 27 chapters, there's a, there's a middle section of that, 
And then that middle section deals primarily with just the Messiah coming for Judah. And so in that middle section, it's kind of the heart of the, of the, the story, right? And if you think about, the, if you compare it to the New Testament, the heart of the New Testament is Jesus, right? He's the, it's the Messiah. He's the one. So uh, whenever we talk about the New Testament, I like to talk about Jesus. I do. Even if I'm reading in the pastoral epistles, it's the reason those are there is because of Jesus. Like that's the reason the church letters are there is because of Jesus and what he did and how he worked. And the heart of the New Testament is Jesus. The heart of these 27 chapters of Isaiah, these last 27 chapters, is the Messiah. So um, the, the, the Messiah section of this, uh, these chapters 49 through 57, um, give us the, the first part of it is talking about how Jesus is a servant of the Lord. He's the servant, the, pure, the perfect servant. He is flawless. He's wonderful. He is the perfect servant. Then it talks in the next uh, little piece how Jesus is, um, uh, the, the, the second half of that, uh, talks about how Jesus is the perfect uh, Messiah. He is the one who is the perfect Savior in chapters 55 through 57. So the first half of, of that, so here's, here's what that means. So if you, if you think about this, I'm a math guy. I don't know how all these numbers added up right, but so the middle nine chapters of this section of the book of Isaiah um, from chapters 49 to uh, 57, they, they, uh, 58, they've got these, um, uh, the middle, it's, it's broken up. If you talk, the first half of it is about the perfect servant, Jesus. The second half of it is about the perfect Savior, Jesus. Well, what's the very, very middle of it? I'm glad you asked. <laughs> the very, very middle of it is found in chapter 53. So chapter 53 um, is the middle chapter. In chapter 53, uh, if I'm just going to read a couple of words from chapter 53, um, it is a, a really, really good uh, verse. Let's look at verse number, verse number 3. And go on. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and was, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteem him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities and upon him the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. I could keep reading, but my voice is giving out on me a little bit. Um, I think that one of the, the, the most beautiful views of Calvary is found right here in Isaiah 53. And it is the absolute center of this middle section. You know, you got verses, chapters 49 through 57, and the very middle of that, the fifth chapter of that, the middle, the center of that is here. The fourth chapter is this, is here in this um, picture of who Jesus is. It's the cross. It's the center of it all. Um, you know, I think it's, it's wise to note Isaiah's name means Jehovah's salvation. It's what Isaiah's name, you know, names in the Old Testament mean a lot. Whenever Jesus changed names, it meant a lot. Um, salvation of Jehovah is Isaiah's name. And um, what, I, what I find is the center of the, the, the New Testament is Jesus. The center of this portion of Isaiah's book is Jesus. Now, there's a lot of prophecy in this. There's a lot of, of things. I think this is maybe the most beautiful, incredible prophecy 
in the, in the Bible. It talks about the cross of Jesus. It talks about who he is, who he will be, what he will go through um, to save us from our sins. And so knowing that Isaiah's name literally means the salvation of Jehovah, and here he is, um, this Old Testament prophet, this Old Testament preacher, preaching about the cross of Jesus. Man, there's something beautiful about that. I, I just cannot help but think about um, how wonderful and incredible uh, it is to know that if, if the Old Testament preacher is going to preach about the cross, then you better believe this uh, church-age preacher is going to preach about the cross. Uh, it's, it's worth it. It's worthy. It's amazing. and It's incredible. Uh, I, I do encourage you to read through Isaiah. It's hard to get through the whole thing and understand it all. Um, I hope it gave you a little bit of understanding today, uh, just about some time frame things and, and whatnot. But um, next, next week, uh, we're going to look into the book of Jeremiah. I'd like to leave Isaiah right there, uh, end it with the cross of Jesus. Um, it's a, uh, that's just a good place uh, to, to, to end. We could, we could look at more, uh, but what I've learned is you don't have to look past the cross to find the answers to all of your problems, every one of them. Uh, the cross is sufficient, it's enough, and uh, he, is, he is good. God is good. Let me pray for us, and then we will uh, we'll dismiss this morning. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you.